Wedge Issues is brought to you by Wispolitics.com, a place where political insiders go for news, opinion, and campaign information. Once again, that's Wispolitics.com. This weekend, Wisconsin Republicans will gather in Oshkosh for their first state convention since losing the governor's race in 2018, with an eye toward preserving Donald Trump's 2016 presidential win in 2020. Leading them will be Andrew Hitt, their newly elected state party chair. I'm Jesse O'Poyan, and this is Wedge Issues, a Cap Times podcast about state government and politics in Wisconsin. Andrew Hitt joined me this week to talk about his priorities as Republican Party of Wisconsin chairman, and we spent a little time digging into a report the party recently put out on its strengths and weaknesses. Stay tuned for that conversation, but first, we'll check in on this week's state politics news. got Jason Joyce here back in the studio, our Cap Times news editor. It's been a little while since you've been on Wedge Issues. It has. It's a whole new Wedge Issues world. It is. Yeah. It's, yeah, things are different now that I'm not in the Capitol every day. Yeah. I have to, like, figure out what's going on, that I'm what I'm missing. Right. There's plenty to talk about, though. Apparently, there are some things happening it's been a busy in state politics. Week. Yeah. Um, just on Thursday, we, we learned that uh, Wisconsin is striking against Big Pharma. That's right. Over the opioid crisis. Uh, the governor and the attorney general announced that they are jumping into this lawsuit um, over Purdue Pharma. Yeah, they're suing the uh, Purdue Pharma and the infamous uh, Sackler family, Richard Sackler, who was one of the uh, leaders of, of that company, an opioid manufacturer. And it's not the first time that Wisconsin has sued Purdue Pharma. Uh, they right. actually sued in 2007, and the state saw some money from that. Purdue Pharma said it would stop. It's uh, alleged misleading marketing practices, um, trying to make opioids sound less dangerous than they actually are. And uh, this lawsuit is alleging that they did not stop doing that. Yeah. So under Josh Call's leadership, the Department of Justice has sort of alternately spent the year removing itself and entering new lawsuits. Is this sort of the the new world of running a state justice department, do you think? I I think increasingly as we see um, states going after the federal government, and that just depends on, you know, who's in power at which time, we're going to see that happening anytime power shifts hands. Brad Schimmel sued over a lot of Obama-era policies, Mm -hmm. things like the Affordable Care Act and um, environmental regulations, Josh Call has withdrawn Wisconsin from pretty much all of those efforts while going after some Trump policies, um, some things related to women's health care and now this uh, this pharmaceutical lawsuit. And this is an issue that Brad Schimmel definitely worked on, too. Yeah. Um, it, it was one that still came up on the campaign trail. I think they both agreed that this was a problem and that the attorney general has a role to play in it. But uh, Brad Schimmel focused more on this multi-state investigation, which is sort of a pre-lawsuit or an alternative to a lawsuit in terms of trying to figure out whether any wrongdoing occurred and whether a settlement could potentially be reached before going to a lawsuit. 
Josh Call was was kind of critical of that on the campaign mm-hmm. trail and thought more could probably be done to go after these pharmaceutical companies. Yeah. Um, so the legislature was also at work this week, um, and primarily it addressed uh, a handful of uh, abortion regulations, including uh, the name escapes me now of the of the sort of the top bill, the the Born Alive bill, the Born Alive bill has been referred to. Yeah. So uh, tell lay, lay these uh, bills out for us here a little bit. Yeah. So the, the Born Alive bill, uh, it should be noted, first of all, that uh, Wisconsin passed a lot of restrictions on abortion into law when Scott Walker was governor and Republicans had control of the legislature. Sure. Um, these laws are not going to get Tony Evers' approval. Right. Um, and Republicans know that. So this is, I think, more about sending a message than actually accomplishing policy. And it's it's definitely uh, among the more divisive issues that I think we were expecting maybe not to come up as much in the legislature mm-hmm. um, with split government. But uh, this sort of came up in a, in a furor when Ralph Northam, the governor of Virginia, talked about uh, legislation there and talked about sort of what happens when in the very rare case uh, a baby survives an abortion, um, what doctors do in that case. And so what doctors often do is, you know, talk to the parents and provide palliative care and you know, just make make the infant comfortable until natural death occurs. Sure. Um, so this bill would say you can't do that as, as a doctor. If, if a baby survives an attempted abortion, the doctor must provide medical care in an effort to keep that baby alive. Mm -hmm. And this is, uh, I heard the term, I believe Jim Steinecke used the term miraculous. And in the miraculous event that a fetus survives an abortion. And uh, so that's, that's, those are the terms that have been used by those in in opposition of this bill as well, right? This is a, a miracle. This is a, this never happens, basically. So, so doctors who oppose this say that this happens so rarely, it doesn't really warrant legislation, and that the laws that are already on the books take care of this in terms of infanticide laws and, and child abuse laws that um, essentially dictate how a, a doctor would respond in, in such a situation. And the other criticism of this legislation from the Democrats this week has been that this is meant to be a distraction. This is a, this is sort of heating up a, a long-simmering debate, I mean long-simmering debate, Um as the Joint Finance Committee and others go to work on the state budget. Right. I mean, this is um, the legislature is already in a pretty divisive uh, atmosphere right now as Republicans are stripping big, big items out of Governor Evers' budget and going their own route. This is, of course, also happening in the national context of several other states looking at their own more restrictive abortion laws, um, I think, with the thought that eventually one of these states' laws is going to make its way up to the Supreme Court and the country will revisit the Roe versus Wade issue. Yeah. This bill also came up, and and these were all voted and approved by the Assembly, uh, mostly on party lines. There was one Republican lawmaker who objected, I think, not on principle, but because an amendment issue um, yeah. occurred. Um, the Senate's going to take them up most likely next month. Um, so there there were three other bills. Uh, one of them would prevent a doctor from performing an abortion if the doctor knows that the woman seeking it is doing so because of the race or sex of the baby or because the baby has some sort of diagnosis of uh, a disability or, or birth defect. Sure. Another one is, is sort of a, they're all controversial, but this one I think is 
particularly controversial in the medical community because it requires doctors to tell a woman who's having a, a medical abortion, so that's uh, two doses of medication. Uh, it requires doctors to tell the woman that after the first dose of medication, if she changes her mind, she could take another substance and try to reverse the effects of the first dose. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no scientific evidence that an abortion can be reversed after the first dose. There are some anecdotal claims that it can happen, um, yeah. but this hasn't really been studied or, or proven scientifically, and so doctors are, are not so much on board with being required to dispense this uh, advice that isn't founded in science. Right. Um, and the last bill would make Planned Parenthood ineligible for Medicaid funding, continuing the trend of directing uh, government funds away from that organization. Right. But again, to 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 uh, bring back uh, to the discussion what you mentioned earlier, uh, unlike when s- bills like this were passed and Scott Walker was the governor, uh, Tony Evers will most certainly veto every one of these bills. That is correct. Moving on, um, against that backdrop, the, <laughs> the Joint Finance Committee has been doing its work this week. And also, we learned that uh, we, we got some good news this week. Um, revenue projections are up to the tune of some $750 million. Yeah. So what does that mean? Well, I'd first like to note that I had a dream that we were getting new revenue projections earlier this week. <laughs> and two days later, yeah. new revenue projections. Wow, you better keep that under your, uh, uh, you know, under wraps. Otherwise, people are going to start <laughs> uh, looking to you for the future. Yeah, I'm sure there's probably some calendar that just clicked internally for sure. me. But uh, yeah, there are a lot of different ideas about what to do with this money. Tony Evers wants to use some of it immediately to pay down some debt. He wants to take uh, some more of it and send it toward tech colleges and worker training. Um, he wants to sock the rest of it away in the rainy day fund. Now, Republicans are also sort of divided. Yeah. They, of course, don't like Tony Evers' plan because they often don't. Uh, but Just because. Just because. <laughs> but uh, some of them say all of it should be put in the rainy day fund. Yeah. Um, that, you know, you, you just want to make sure you're stockpiling money whenever you can. And and others are suggesting maybe use some of this to fund some building projects, some transportation projects, um, do kind of a a mix of things with it, pay down debt in other ways. Yeah, it is pretty interesting in that it seems like almost everyone who's been asked about this issue this week has a different idea for what to do with this money. Which I guess is kind of makes sense. You know, you get a little extra cash and there's all these kind of different priorities and ideas of ways to spend it. I thought one of the interesting arguments, and I think this was Scott Fitzgerald who made this argument, that um, under state law, about $290 million of this needs to go into the rainy day fund. Mm-hmm. He thinks that we should do away with that law requiring any of it to go into the rainy day fund to allow much more of it to be used in discretionary. Yeah, and it's an interesting argument and also worth kind of going back to the Walker days. You know, the Walker administration love to talk about the strength of the state's rainy day fund. And, you know, that's uh, it's it's nice to know that you've got that money in the bank. Um, some would say that the rainy day fund still isn't really big enough. I mean, yeah. It's not like the government can operate that long on the money that's in there. So um, there, there are always going to be people who argue that more should go in rather than stopping that flow. Yeah. Well, we will uh, we will continue to monitor obviously this discussion over the budget and I- increasing revenues with 
very pleased to say, a new reporter who's joining the staff. Yeah. Brianna Riley is coming over from uh, WIS Politics to uh, take your place on the state uh, on the state desk uh, starting on Monday. We're very excited about this. Really excited. Um, people who are listening to this podcast should be familiar with Brianna for a number of reasons. Hopefully they already follow her reporting, but she was also a guest on here a couple months ago, and I expect she will be back on here and doing who knows what else to, to share her work, but um, she's awesome. I've admired working alongside her in the Capitol since she started at WIS Politics, and I'm super excited to have her here at the Cap Times. Yeah, it's going to be great. So look for her byline coming up and uh, looking forward to the rest of this podcast. Yeah, we're talking to Andrew Hitt, the newly elected chairman of the Republican Party of Wisconsin, and they are having their convention in Oshkosh this weekend. So it's timely. That's right. Convention season is upon us. The Democrats will uh, elect their own party chair coming up. So I'm sure there's much uh, fodder for discussion about those things. Yes. Great. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Well, hello, I'm Andrew Hitt. I'm the newly elected state party chairman for the Republican Party of Wisconsin. It's great to be here today. Great. Yeah, thank you for being here. Yeah, exciting times. You guys just put out a report looking back on the last set of elections, and so we've got plenty to talk about today. But let's start by talking about you a little bit. Um, so the Democratic Party is looking for, for its chairman right now, and they're going through uh, elections, but you didn't have to do that. What made you decide that you wanted to take on this leadership role in the Republican Party? Yeah, so we we have elections. Um, it's done with the executive committee, so there's about 31 people who vote. I ended up not having to run against anybody, um, but I, I said it's still hard to run against uh, and seek a position when, when there's nobody else out there. So everybody still wants to talk and and uh, hear what you believe in. So it was not nearly uh, as as much as a statewide campaign, but it was a good opportunity to talk to the executive committee and tell them what I, what I want to do and what I believe in. So I, re- I really wanted to do this uh, because a few years ago I got really involved with the Republican Party of Wisconsin, uh, became the treasurer of the party, subsequent to that became first vice chairman. I really, we've done some really amazing things over the last eight years, no doubt, but I really thought that the party should be about a grassroots organizing organization. And it really was the extension of, of a political operation or a political campaign. Not a criticism. That's pretty typical, pretty normal, especially when you have a governor for eight years, as I talk to friends and colleagues around the country. But for me personally, I think it, it's best if if the RPW is a grassroots organizing organization. And so that really motivated me to run. I, I like to take on things where I'm improving things and building upon things. That's where we're at as a party right now. So it's a good fit for my skills. And so I'm really excited about doing it. Great. Well, how did you get interested in politics? What was that pathway? So I, when I was in law school, it was at at the time when Justice Ziegler was running for Supreme Court her first time back in 2007. I heard her speak and decided I wanted to apply to be her law clerk. So I prepared all of my materials. And when after she won, the next day, I sent them to her chambers in West Bend, where she was a circuit court judge. Most everybody sent their their materials to the Supreme Court. I had interned for Justice John Wilcox. I knew she wasn't going to be at the court for a few months, so I sent it there. 
Turns out it was a really good decision, <laughs> much shorter stack there. Mm-hmm. And so I got that job with her and it was a great experience. Not necessarily a political job, but it's an elected position, obviously. Right, right. It was my first kind of foray into this. And um, after clerking for her with her for two years, I went and became a prosecutor in Milwaukee County. I was a felony gun and drug prosecutor there in Milwaukee. And when Governor Walker was elected, his transition team called and they were talking to folks who were uh, law clerks, um, conservative law clerks. And uh, I interviewed and for the Office of Legal Counsel, a guy by the name of Brian Hagedorn got the chief (laughs) counsel spot. And uh, I was fortunate enough to get the deputy counsel and then moved my way up through the organization, I guess became the governor's senior advisor and then out to his cabinet. And after I left the the administration, I just stayed involved in politics and then started to get involved with the party. And most recently, you or fairly recently, you served as the lead attorney for the Trump campaign during the 2016 election. That's right. All right. So all the way from <laughs> state Supreme Court to president of the United States. Yeah, that was, that was an amazing experience. Um, it was... I can't remember exactly how many days it was, 14, 15, 16 days. It was really a blur. Uh, it was t- intense, uh, even though it's not like it was a Florida recount right. or anything like that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you didn't want to screw it up. No, so. there's a lot on the line there. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, what is it about Republican politics and, and conservative ideology that has uh, attracted you to, to that value side of, of the equation? Oh, great question. You know, I really, I think that the Republican Party is a party of opportunity, uh, economic opportunity and prosperity. I think that's a a message that resonates with the American people. That's one of the things that's really drawn me to the party. I think that um, I look at the state of both parties now, and I really truly feel that the Republican Party is sort of the mainstream party now. As I look at a number of things that the Democrats are talking about, we're talking about socialism now. We're, you know, we're, we're not uh, for security in the country, border security. I know it's a hot button issue, but the Democrats were, were for a border wall and, and for funding it. And now all of a sudden they're not. And it's a real crisis on the border. It's, it's, not, it's not a dreamed up crisis. And so, you know, those are some things that are really important to me. I think, um, I, you know, first and foremost, though, it's, it's about family, it's about um, economic prosperity, and it's about lifting people up. Wedge Issues is sponsored by WISPolitics.com. You can become a WISPolitics.com member. Find out more at WISPolitics.com slash membership. So Wisconsin really, from the, the time that you started to get involved in, in politics, has been trending pretty red over the years, um, really up until the 2018 statewide elections, which brought us back to sort of the, the purple state. I mean, obviously statewide wins for Democrats, but still kind of everything below that uh, remained under Republican control. You guys as a party uh, recently put out your autopsy report on what went right, what went wrong in that election. You talked a little bit about, I think, the the takeaway, it seemed like, from that report was returning to the grassroots, which is what you alluded to earlier. Um, what were some of the, the highlights and, and things that you explored as a committee as you were uh, determining where the party goes forward? We really, we did a full autopsy, if you will. We, we looked at everything from organizational structure to finances to how we interact with the grassroots, how we interact with other stakeholders, 
the donor community, the media. Um, we really, it was a full, full look at how we operate. And, you know, I think that's actually a really healthy sign. That's a sign of a healthy organization that we can do it. Not everybody agrees with the report, I'm sure. Uh, but I, I really think that um, it's a sign of a healthy organization that we could do it. We had frank, very open discussions with a lot of people. There, those discussions will continue. So very, you know, I'm, I'm pleased about that. And it gives me a really good pathway forward and a, and a plan to implement. And I think that really plays to my strengths. So, you know, some of the things that we, that we looked at is uh, on the operation side, how, how, how do we interact with people who are consultants? How do we, what do we keep in-house and what do we farm out? How do we interact with the grassroots? Are we providing them information that they need, the tools that they need to do their job to get out the vote? Are we providing them with the tools they need to grow their party, grow their volunteer list? You know, are we, are we providing the things to stakeholders that would lead them to, to want to have a meaningful relationship with us and, and work together? Um, so those are some of the things that we focused on. And uh, like I said, I think we've got a great plan going forward, and I'm excited to implement it. And you had a good cross-section of folks involved in the committee, everyone from Reince Priebus to Ron Johnson to um, more grassroots in-state folks involved in that, um, yourself in- included. Um, so we'll start with the negative and move into the positive. What is the party struggling with right now? What are the biggest challenges for the party going forward? So I think the biggest challenges we had we really already started to work towards and take down. That's that's kind of the interaction with the grassroots. The grassroots have done an amazing job. They're the tip of the spear. They're why we win elections. We sw- we we moved a little bit away from that. We moved into a very heavily focused data, digital, on air kind of organization or or campaign. I think in the environment that we had last year when people are, when independents are going the other way, when the political climate is such that it is, you really need that grassroots to knock on those doors and, and do the phone calls. And so, you know, I think that's that's really, really important. And that's um, by far the, the number one thing that we need to improve upon, making sure they have the tools they need to do their job and to be the tip of the spear and that we're not in the way, but we're helping them. Debt is an issue that I think almost every political party or organization probably encounters at some point. Certainly um, the Democratic Party had its own issues with that years ago. I, what's the update on, on progress on that? How are you guys paying that off? It sounds like you're already working toward it. Um, but <laughs> you obviously came out with a little bit of, of yeah. that. Yeah. You know, we, we didn't leave anything on the table in November, yeah. which not really that surprising. Yeah. So, you know, obviously it's a news story. I completely get that. Sure. I'm not worried about it at all. My interaction right now as I travel the state, as I meet with donors all over, has been very positive. They're very energized. They saw what we did to help out in the Hagedorn race, and they're, they're, they're buying what we're selling. They're believing in it. So I'm, I'm very confident on the revenue side that we've got a, a steady stream coming in, and that's been going very well. We will uh, work to kind of pay that down, pay the bills off throughout the year. We're going to make investments uh, and prepare for 2020. So, you know, we, we, could, we could pay it off today if we wanted, but we're going we're gonna to work towards it and have a, a measured approach to it. 
And so we still have we still have some out there, but I, I'm it's just not a big concern. Um, you talked about independence and, and working on courting them again. What issues or, or areas do you think are up for grabs? What arguments can you make to to bring independence back to your side? That was obviously the the ground that you lost the most in 2018 was uh, just independents weren't weren't having it anymore. Mm-hmm. That's a great question. I, I think the economy continues to do as well as as it is as people are having you know, low unemployment, they're having job opportunities, they're having opportunities for personal growth, that's going to be really good for us. I think security, uh, border security is actually very good for us. Because the Democrats have taken it so far to the extreme, I think everyday Americans, they want want to see um, strong America, safe America. So I think those are going to be important issues. I think, honestly, independence, too, uh, what we do with minority engagement and youth engagement are going to be really, really important. And for the, I think, the first time, we've actually, we've kept on our minority engagement staffers. Usually those those folks move on after a campaign, and we wait a couple years, and then we hire some new people. This this time we didn't do that. We kept them on, and we're, we're working harder than ever and focused on minority engagement because I think we have a good story to tell there uh, with economic prosperity and opportunity. And we've so we've built the relationships. Now we're moving into the education uh, part of it, and we're going to be doing that this summer. This isn't something we're going to sit back and wait until June of 2020. So for us, we're ahead of the game. I noticed uh, in addition to working on minority and youth engagement, um, you talked about uh, not having enough women at the table. Also, the report said Democrats in the media are going to focus on this instead of, uh, I think, wor- working on their own weaknesses, which I kind of laughed at because I am going to focus on it for a little bit. Um, because I, I, I notice those things. You know, I notice who I'm talking to as a reporter when I'm dealing with campaigns or organizations, and I haven't noticed a lot of women in high-level positions, whether it's on a Republican campaign or uh, in the party organization itself. So. I, I will focus on it for a second. What are you doing to to make that change? Well, first of all, I think it's having the people around the table that think that's really important. I, I personally am one of them. Uh, we, f- for me personally, throughout my career, I've had so many uh, women leaders that I have worked for or worked with. I think it's really important to have the diversity of thought and perspective. So you know, just at you know, having that at the forefront of, you know, making sure that we have a diverse group of people in the leadership, I think is really important. As we, as we add, we've got a couple positions open up on our executive committee right now. Uh, Very, very pleased that the people that are running are all women. And so I think that's, that's, those are positive things that, you know, if, if those of us at the top care about this and are looking for it and understand the benefit of having that diverse perspective. And I do, Mark Jefferson does. So I think, you know, just having it front of mind and making it a priority will go a long way. And, and I expect we'll, we'll do a lot better in that area. So moving toward the, the positive or the opportunities, um, what has the party been doing right in, in the short term past? And what do you see as the biggest opportunities moving forward? So what the party has been doing right is, is in some ways, what we, what we were doing wrong as well. The grassroots are what we are doing right. At a state level, we didn't treat or work with them as well as we should have in the, in the last couple of years. But they, by far, the tip of the spear 
are doing an amazing job. We saw that in the Hagedorn race. There was so much energy in that race by the grassroots, and they completely propelled him over the top to victory. So the grassroots absolutely going right. Uh, we've we've done a really good job over the last few years with bringing raising raising dollars and raising money. That that is something that's continuing. And you know there were people who were nervous after after you know Walker Governor Walker lost and after Schimmel lost that would the money dry up? Would we not be able to bring that money in? As I travel around talking to donors, I'm seeing in some cases more more engagement, more generosity of them now and believing in what we're doing than they've done in the past recent few years. So I think we're doing grassroots right. We're doing the the raising the money right. And I think this review committee that we did, we did that right. It was a healthy thing to do. No doubt was tough at times, frank conversations, tough conversations, but it was the right thing to do. And it's putting us in a very good position for 2020. It feels like you could get whiplash watching the elections over the last, well, really since 2016 uh, here, whether it's state Supreme Court races going left and right or you know, the governor's race going one way and the legislative race is going another way. How would you describe the political climate in Wisconsin to someone who doesn't live here? Purple. Yeah. Uh, you know, you had talked about before, you know, a few minutes ago about how, you know, we were, you know, trending red and we, we were very successful. We were, no doubt, but those elections were close. And it's a purple state. And it's a state where you have people who, while not on the ballot at the same time, it's pretty clear that we had Obama and Walker voters. Mm-hmm. They were the same, you know, we had Obama Walker voters, people who voted for each of them. And I think people in the state of Wisconsin, uh, our people, they, they look at things through a more positive light. They don't focus so much on the negative. And they hear a, po- uh, a politician talking about what they're going to do and the positive impact they're going to make, and they respond to that. I don't think they really respond uh, to the negative as much. And I think that's part of the reason why you see some of that going back and forth in that Obama-Walker voter kind of scenario. There are people that really believe strongly in what Walker was doing, uh, getting the state back fiscally, but those same people believed in what what President Obama was doing as well. And so I think, you know, it's a purple state. It's a, it's a state where if you're a political organization, you have to execute and you have to work really hard and earn their vote. Uh, and you can't just take it for granted that it's going to stay there forever. You have to keep working to keep getting that vote year in and year out. So what role does Wisconsin play in 2020? Is it up for grabs? The road to the White House absolutely runs through Wisconsin. Uh, we're going to be you know, one of the six, seven, eight battleground states that's going to be key. Uh, as a result, we're going to have a lot of attention. We're going to have a lot of resources here in Wisconsin. The Democrats have already decided to come to Wisconsin, unlike unlike the last time, <laughs> right, right? right? So we're, you know, welcome to Wisconsin. We think it's good here, um, and we're excited that they're coming. Uh, I think um, that, you know, it's it, it's going to be a, a tough election cycle. And, and the reason I say that is because the Democrats took Wisconsin for granted last time, and they took for Wisconsin for granted in 2016. That means we've got to do it better this time. We've got to get more volunteers. We've got to get more people in our contact list so that we're knocking on doors, uh, calling them, and turning out the vote. We need to turn out more people in this election than we did in 2016. 
I think we're well positioned to do it. We've got a great plan. We've got good people in place. We're, we're ready to execute. And, you know, I'm, I'm really confident that we're going to deliver for the president in 2020. Without knowing, obviously, which of the, I think we're up to 22 Democrats. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> it's just crazy. I didn't think anything could be bigger than the governor's race here last year, but man. <laughs> um, without knowing which one of them ends up on the ballot, what do you think the contrast is going to be in, in the presidential election? And for Wisconsin in particular, which issues? Right. It, I mean, there's, I think right now there's a big contrast. And, you know, it, it, had you asked, like, which one am I afraid of? I, you know, I couldn't answer that because, honestly, I'm not that afraid of any of them. I don't think that they are competitive candidates in Wisconsin. I think they're competitive candidates on the coast, uh, perhaps. Uh, that's who they're speaking to. But I don't think their message of socialism, of Medicare for all, of, you know, this kind of, you know, transfer of, of, of one group to another, I don't think that's a message that resonates with Wisconsin voters. And, I, I, you know, I don't see the appeal there. And so it is a purple state. We're going to have to work hard, no doubt. But, you know, right now, I I don't see the topics they're talking about or the people they're putting forward as being particularly appealing to Wisconsinites. So last question before we move into the lightning round, which is the fun part. Uh, What is your your pitch to Wisconsin voters on the Republican Party, on the Republican candidates who are on the ballot in the years to come? It's a party of opportunity. It's a party of not only economic opportunity, but a party that – wants to put in policies in place that will help you and your family achieve what you want to achieve. I think that's that is by far our overwhelming message. It's a party of get government out of the way. No doubt there needs to be some safety net programs, but it's not the government that's going to help people become prosperous. It's it's the people that will help them become prosperous and we want to give them the ability and the tools to do that. That, I think, is what drives uh, drives us. It drives our decision-making. And electing Republicans is, is going to be helpful to you in that way. All right. Ready for the lightning round? Yeah, you bet. Okay. What's your favorite Wisconsin beer? Uh, furthermore. Ooh, any, any particular ones? Proper. Okay. Good deal. Uh, what is the best concert that you've ever been to? I would say I'm going to, I'm going with a tie here. Okay. So my wife and I, Stacy, we went to Tom Petty at Summerfest, I think a couple times, and that was a great show, an amazing show. We also at times have a little bit of a country streak to us, mm-hmm. uh, especially kind of the older country. Yeah. Uh, and we did George Strait at Miller Park, which was a really, really awesome show. Those are super solid choices. Yeah. 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 Um, what's your favorite Wisconsin vacation destination? Any lake. We we love being on the water. We're a, a, any given weekend if it's nice out, we're out on the water. And uh, I live in the Fox Valley, so you know the Appleton Oshkosh area. There's so many lakes oh, to yeah. choose from, and that's definitely my favorite. So if you're driving around the state, which I imagine you have to do a little bit, are you listening to podcasts, music, books on tape, radio, mix of all of the above? You know, I am pretty much on the phone the entire time, <laughs> yeah. uh, whether it's talking to, you know, the executive community members or the grassroots or talking to donors. I'm just constantly on the phone. 
Uh, nerd alert, I did recently download a uh, audio book of the greatest speeches of President Reagan. Ooh. So I was traveling back from Eau Claire last Thursday night late. It was a long, long day. I'd been to La Crosse earlier, Eau Claire, traveled from Appleton, and uh, I listened to that for a little while. So... Um, that, the, you know, nerd alert, nerd For alert. For sure, yeah. Well, most people who get this into politics have a nerdy streak to them. Sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, are you currently binging any shows at, at home or watching anything that you're into? Game of Thrones. Ooh, okay. Hard to binge that, right? When yeah. There's only one left, I, I think. I think one, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's crazy. Mm-hmm. We always have kind of a show uh, that we pick. Yeah. Uh, that we watch maybe, you know, a few nights a week. We just watched Ray Donovan. Uh, that was, you know, from a few years back. Yeah. Um, that was a great show. So nothing, we're, we're basically on the cusp of needing to pick a new show. So right. if you have You're, any suggestions, yeah, let me know. Man. Okay. Uh, I've been watching one called Dead to Me, which is uh, also on Netflix. But do you have any predictions on how Game of Thrones is going to end? Um, so I was kind of thinking that they would really throw a curveball and maybe Cersei would sit on the Iron Throne. Of course, yeah. that's gone. Right. And um, so... <laughs> I'm not sure. Maybe, you know, my wife thinks it's going to be Arya. Okay. So we'll see. I have been a very casual observer. Like, I've watched a few episodes here and there, but I have no stake in it at this point. But it's, re- it's like, almost more fun watching people react to the episodes than it is to actually watch them. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, where's your favorite place that you have traveled outside of Wisconsin? Outside of Wisconsin. Great question. When... I would say when I was in college, I had the opportunity to go to Europe with three friends. And um, we flew from Chicago to Frankfurt, $225 on Priceline.com. Not bad. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. (laughs) Try to get that now. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But we spent, I think it was five weeks. uh, And a friend of mine, her family was from there. So we stayed with them. And it was just an amazing time traveling around. And so that was probably my favorite trip uh, in terms of a place. I, I love going to D.C. I love going to the, uh, the monuments and all that. We lived out there for a year. We spent the whole year and treated it like a vacation. We just every weekend we, we had this huge list and every weekend we went somewhere else. So that's great. Yeah. So uh, could be living or dead politicians from each party that you most admire. Wow. Um, probably... I love reading about John Adams and uh, the biographies on on John Adams and Lincoln. Those, I think, are really, I think they tell a nice nice story, and um, they're just very empowering, I think. Uh, On the Democrat side, I think learning learning about Kennedy um, is probably what I would say. Um, I can remember... My dad, who who was a Kennedy fan, and I remember him talking about Kennedy and talking about that day and and the impact it had. And so that those are probably the, the two or three that I'd say. Okay, ready for your last one? Yeah, you bet. It's your favorite Wisconsin cheese? Ooh, I like Munster a lot. Um, um, 
You mean brand or type? Um, either. If you have a, a particular brand, you're welcome to share it. Oh, okay. Um, but I, Munster, I like a lot. Um, I think that was. T- I think Tony Ever's favorite cheese was, was Munster. It? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, I don't know why. We yeah. we ha- we always have Munster in the house. It's so. a it's a good cheese. Yeah, I, I, yeah. that's gonna have to be the choice because that's the one we always have. That's perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming in. This is great. Great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Wedge Issues. Our theme music is Oh, Wisconsin by Loxley. We'll be back every Friday with new episodes, so make sure you're subscribed on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts so you can stay up to date. If you have feedback or suggestions for me, you can find me on Twitter at jessieopie or you can email me at j-o-p-o-i-e-n at madison.com. You can also leave us a rating or review on iTunes. While you're waiting for new episodes of Wedge Issues, I also recommend you check out our other Cap Times podcasts like The Corner Table and The Mad Splainers. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week. Wedge Issues has been brought to you by Wispolitics.com. There are plenty of benefits to becoming a member. You can go to Wispolitics.com membership to find out more.